Welcome to the New Books Network. Good morning, good evening, good night, entrepreneurship and leadership channel listeners on the New Books Network. I'm here with my friend and business partner, Peter Cowley, and my friend and business partner, Kim Fontakidis. This is an unusual thing. I've known Peter, our guest today, for years, and he's a friend and a leader of both social and business projects, a famous angel investor. But Peter, rather than me try to introduce you, why don't you introduce yourself and then we'll move on to your book, Private Grief and Public, no, public Success. Public, public Success and Private Grief, get the name right, and your project cancer. And then if there's time in the second half of our podcast, we'll talk about entrepreneurship and leadership. Over to you, Peter. Yeah, so thank you, Richard. Thank you, Kimon. Very briefly, uh, I'm a, a technologist at engineering computer science at the university, a bit of time as a software engineer, moved to Bavaria, set up a business there after a year. Uh, that was my first one back in 1980, and then came back to the UK in 84, and I've set up about a dozen businesses in technology and, and property over that time. Uh, I've been on the board of seven different charities, so they're a form of social enterprise, but with charitable basis. Accidentally became an angel investor about 15 years ago, found I really loved it, embraced it completely, uh, invested in the end in over 70 companies, been on the board of 40 companies, uh, written a couple of books about it, which you can see behind me. But I've also been had some various roles on the trade body here in the UK. I was president of the European Business Angel Network, and I'm on, on the board of the Global Business Angel Network, lectured in 40 countries now. And I've got very late stage cancer, <laughs> so I'm getting on with life. Yes. That's very um... impressive. And and you're you're publishing a book and you've got a YouTube channel. And as I failed to correctly introduce, the book is called Public Success and Private Grief. And the video chat the YouTube channel is called Project Cancer. And you know, for our listeners, I'll in a way it's not exactly a trigger warning, but Peter's story is a really tough story. And uh we're going to share links to this. This this isn't a normal podcast. Pete I, I regard what Peter's doing with these. These, this book and this YouTube channel is a kind of social entrepreneurship because you're doing things for a purpose and it certainly wouldn't happen without you. So perhaps in a as telegraphic a form as you can, Peter, you could give the kind of the, the tough story to give the context of why we've got you here. Okay. So about seven or eight years ago, I found that I was doing a lot of mentoring. I've mentored hundreds of people. I've lectured to groups of no, for 25, 50, 100, and I decided to scale myself. So I decided to do some podcasts. I've done 80 odd podcasts, which are thanks to Richard, are now on the NBN network. They're, they're parked there, they're accessible there, and through Investor Investor. And um, I set up, so I set up the, the company called Investor Investor, which has done two books, which you can see behind me one for angels, one for entrepreneurs. But then during that, then, then, I um, developed a couple of years, just as I was trying to retire, so I'm 68 now, I developed late-stage cancer. It's a type of cancer that unfortunately always gets detected very late. It's, uh, there's about one in five people who get lung cancer, including me, who had never smoked. And then it was all over my body, in my brain, in my uh, liver, in my ribs, obviously in the lung itself. And so I went on a course of treatment, which works extremely well. Well, it worked quite well until a few months ago when it mutated. So I have cancer and therefore, based on the trials that are done 
and the data I see out there, I have a limited time. It's likely, well, obviously I want to change this, but statistically it's likely I'll die by the end of next year. So I wanted to get on and share more information. So about a year and a half ago, I set up a YouTube channel called Project Cancer, which is to explain how I've approached cancer in my research and data. And although I'm seeming quite calm at the moment, I, I, you know, I've been through a lot of emotion, of course. You know, reaching the end of one's life is, is really tough, as when, particularly when you can see it coming, you know, rather than a, a, a sudden accident. But... So that's that's running on. They've got about 40 podcasts on there, including with my oncologist, with other people who are suffering from cancer, other people who are carers, and how I've coped in terms of working with the NHS, which is our health system here in the UK, and uh, planning planning the rest of my life and uh, communicating with others, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But on top of that, and well, much worse in many ways is. I've had more grief than just my own cancer. And so that's why I've decided to write a book, which is basically a self-help memoir about my life and the griefs, grief occasions I've had. Those are on the website, the preliminary website, which you'll be able to see um, in the show notes. But in a nutshell, unfortunately, I had three, I've had three children and two, two of them have died. One in 2009, for reasons we don't really know, and one who was the co-founder of the Investor Investor with me, who died about a year ago due to suicide. I'm a recovering alcoholic, 23 years without a drink, and I've also lost most of my younger siblings, and a lot's gone on in my life. And, and from that, somehow, I've ended up still being able to contribute. I'm not wallowing in grief. I've somehow processed it through. And the book, partly cathartic as I write it, with my wife, actually, who's the writer. I'm more a business writer, but she's turning it into words. And there is a um, sample chapter, introductory chapter on the website now. The book should be available for pre-order in about three weeks' time and delivery in March. So just in a nutshell, I've been through probably a little bit more than my fair share of grief. And despite that, I've gone on to achieve a level of success in, in the entrepreneurship and angel investing industry and somehow coped. Well, that's obviously that's, that, that blows me away. I mean, it's obviously it's, it's an unbelievable, it's, it's actually extraordinarily inspirational that you're, as you said, um, you're moving, basically you're moving forward. I mean, it's, I, I think, I think what you're doing is you're putting one step, one foot in front of the other, I guess in all situations is that if you could just, I know it's hard to crystallize a book or crystallize a thought about all this, but like, what would, is it resilient? Like, I, I'm just trying to wonder what the word is. Is it resilience? Is it, is it, is it, is it just, you, you use the word, get on with it. I mean, is it, is there, how, how do, how does one, it's amazing. I mean, basically, it's, I'm actually like at a loss for words. It's it's amazing. It's it, it's amazing that you're you that how you how you've coped with this and not only cope but somehow you've turned it into a, a force of positive a force of a positive force. Can can you just is there any way you can sort of just 
Well, Descri- like, what is it about you that, that allows you to do that? I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. And I suspect others would wish they could distill out of me and work yeah. it out for themselves. And everybody is touched by grief. I was talking to somebody last night at a dinner in Belfast where his cousin is in late state, stage brain cancer and he's in his 30s. You know, mm-hmm. everybody's on the edge of something. His father died when he was in his 50s, things like this. We all have an element of grief in there. It's definitely resilience. Um, it's probably partly my character and my upbringing, but I've also actually, despite my age, embraced professional help in a big way. I've spent a lot of time talking to therapists and um, something I'm sure my father would never have dreamed of doing, for instance, and many people right. in my generation won't do. So it's a combination of working it through with others and working it through myself. And uh, as I keep saying, although I look okay and positive now, I've been through some really dark patches. Right. Back end of my own alcoholism, which finished, um, let's say, I hadn't had a drink for 23 years, the, particularly the death of my first son, because that was very unknown. The police were involved and they took them two and a half months before we got his body back and we never worked it out. There was no note or anything. The second son, of course, um, he'd actually died um, um in a method that we know about and uh although there's no notes there was some history that we knew a little bit about that was surprisingly and i've said this to a few people now surprisingly it took me less time to work that through than the first death possibly because unfortunately and there aren't many people who've lost two children particularly separately possibly because it's been done before and possibly because i've just got to get on with life I've not got much life left. I have a plan, which I was showing Richard when we were on holiday a few months ago, which is just about 350 days long. Now, everybody says, but you'll last longer than that. You know, you've got the right attitude. This medical technology is moving on, everything else. But I'm being realistic about this. Yes. Yes. You're like a business plan. It's like a business plan. (laughs) You're doing it from a business perspective. I mean, you, you know what you can realistically do. So can you share a little bit? I mean, obviously, that's kind of intriguing. What's the 350, what's in the 350 day? How much is, yeah, what are you, what do you want to achieve in the next 350 days? My father, I've already left a little bit of legacy. I've still got a son, for instance, who works here in Cambridge. I, uh, that's legacy clearly. Um, I've got the two books. I've done some property stuff that you won't know about, but I feel proud Mm -hmm. of uh, for charitable purposes. Um, the this book is really critically important. I've, we've well, I've written about forty five thousand words. Lisa is modifying them. That I've really got to get out, and I need to get it out of my head before I become ill, because you can always take that on forward. If my disease follows the progression that many others do, I'll be okay for another six or seven months, and then the cancer will be coming back so fast. I'll, I'll be on some sort of chemotherapy. And then life will be tough. That won't, I won't right. be dead at that point. So um, there should be time to in the next six, seven months to both get the book finished, launched it. We even got a launch date now, the 17th of April. Uh, Richard, you better put that in your diary. Keep one if you happen to be in the UK. Um, and uh, maybe some of the listeners, if they read the book. Um, and uh, so, but after that, I'm, and, and during that, I also want to do some other things. I want to go to Antarctica, for instance. I've, I've traveled around the world, been to nearly 90 countries. Hopefully that will happen in January if my scans are okay, because I live from three months to three months on the scans. Then I want to spend a few days with very close friends, one-to-one. Rich is definitely one of those. Just three or four days doing something. With one person, I'm going to do a stand-up comedy course, for instance. 
Um, there'd be somebody outside just eat Michelin star food for three days <laughs> and just spend some time with the That's some cool. close friends. And then I'm cutting down on my commitments, of course. So I, I'm, I've just come off another board, so there won't be many things there. I'm trying to get the rest of my affairs in order, but that's super complicated because I've still got 40 or so angel investments. Um, and, you know, so enjoy life, spend time with family, spend time with friends, and just be prepared. Um, I've just done a podcast, actually, which is really, this is maybe a little bit too much for this particular podcast, but talking about end of life. Um, you know what will happen when things get really tough towards the end of next year, or or whenever it is. But I think that that's really. I mean, so I'm personally um, actually comfortable with this subject, and I and I feel that. I mean, I, <laughs> you're going to hate this. I think it's going to be it sound terrible what I'm about to say, but like on some in some ways, you're lucky that you can do that because look at all that you're doing like look at all that you're setting up and like having can because a lot of people just poof they're gone right and that's it and there's they have not now maybe that's better for the patient i guess somehow there, there's less maybe there's less mental anguish I, I, i'm sure you go through more mental anguish like this i guess i mean i'm guessing i'm like i'm just trying to imagine but 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 how how great on some level that you look at you, what you're doing, like you're actually to take the time to spend with these people that you love or that you care about to have special time with them and to do the special things. And then this awareness of like, you're, cause you're even breaking it into like al alive is not just alive, right? It's alive is like really capable, physically capable alive. And then there's the, exactly. the what you're calling like the second stage. And I mean, I don't know. I just think this is just a, I mean, I just think that there's so much that that, that, that people can take away from that. I mean, and then like, if you were to, I don't want to like transition this into a business thing, but like, aren't this, isn't this similar? Is it, would you, are, are not a lot of these things similar for they a are. startup or for a, like, a, like shouldn't exactly. they be thinking about the next six months rather than the, 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 the great billions that they're going to make later down the line. I, I, I don't, can, maybe you can comment on that. Was there any connection? I'm, I'm not sure the, the, the end. I don't, I mean, I've been on the board of a couple of companies that have had to shut down solvently and right. that has been a process to an end of an entity, which is the right. company, but it's, it, I, I would liken it more to running projects, running, which is, of course, a business startup is a project. You know, it's just that it's, I'm injecting not capital into it. I'm obviously injecting time, but I have a plan. It's just, I've spent my whole life, unfortunately, much to, right. to, much <laughs> to the way, and sort of the negative attitude of some of the people I'm close to of just running my life. They're not, not like clockwork. There's all kinds of shit that comes in, isn't there? Right. Uh, and just running because you're efficient you're a busy man clearly you need to clearly pre being ill you were a busy man as a busy man you had to be efficient you had to manage your time correctly you had to manage... so all those skills all those things i'm sure are just <laughs> continue on into this project basically exactly exactly and it just seemed a natural thing to do you know yeah. when i first found out about the illness and it happened because the tumor in my brain was about this big it's not brain cancer but it was right. still about this big and so although i'd just done a half marathon i found i couldn't walk in a straight line with my eyes shut because it was affecting my brain that next month and i remember seeing richard actually going for a 5k run actually just yeah. before i found out actually three days before the beginning of the book starts as it turns out in the introductory chapter and uh being real, I don't know what, what I showed, but I was really scared. 
I was I was not really sleeping. I was emotionally complete mess. I was on steroids, so I was a bit up and down. And, right. and I was planning everything. I was having getting up at two in the morning, going back to bed at six a.m. so I could just get stuff done. You know, so it hasn't always been like this. I've settled into a right. much more uh, what's the word for it measured approach to life. Um, I still go into. I'm still. I'm not. Uh, death doesn't really worry me. I don't. I don't suppose anybody wants to get to a certain age. Worry them. The dying bit really does, though. That bit, you know, when when I start to lose my mind, body right. not so bad, but when I start to lose my mind, so getting stuff in place, ready for doing that, coping mechanisms, um, just seems the right way to do it. I, by the way, Peter, this we're, we're no longer putting out video. So uh, we'll obviously put in the show notes the links to the books behind you. And you said it was this big, I think it was about five or 10 centimetres, you know. No, no, 27 millimetres, not quite 10. But no, we, we, we decided to stop doing video um, for the podcast. So uh, visual imagery is not going to work for our listeners. And um, that's on us for not briefing you properly rather than, uh, although there always are listeners, so maybe I didn't yeah. do a bad job. But um, I, I, w- I was going to say that there are, there are so many remarkable things. And for people listening, that I thought this was about entrepreneurship. I thought this was about leadership. Leadership and entrepreneurship are about having a purpose. And I think that, you know, this and everyone is going to face what Peter's facing. And obviously, in, in terms of death, and this is a different way. And but you have these sort of these conversation icebreaker questions like what would you do if you knew you only had a month to live why aren't you doing it and the the thing that was most remarkable was this incredibly emotional sort of battering ram of realizing that you're not just facing it but you know creating not just value for you but value for other people and uh, to some extent you're doing it for yourself but you're not just doing it for yourself are you um no 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 i mean yeah, why am I not? Why am I even talking to you? Why aren't I getting on with my life? <laughs> you know, right, I'm, not, right. I'm, I'm definitely doing this because it's somehow baked into me to help others. All the way back from, you know, probably 30 years ago when I started getting involved in charitable organisations, something was driving me to help others. Uh, and we all do that to some extent. I mean, I'm not, I'm no way am I unique in that way. I'm just doing it in a more focused way, perhaps. And in this case, where each day counts. I mean, yesterday I was at this conference in Belfast. And I have a, and a, I did a podcast actually with the guy who runs it. I won't mention that at the moment, but I, I, I told him about my bucket list and my fuck it list. And he absolutely <laughs> loves that. He absolutely loves that. And there were times yesterday. Well, I, what's on the fuck it list? We need to hear about the fuck it list for sure. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, mainly mentoring entrepreneurs. <laughs> 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 Suck that up, listeners. Suck that up. <laughs> well, it depends what you're faced with. I mean, are you faced with helping people with life-ending, you know, disease, or are you? Uh, I mean, exactly. it's like which is more, more mission critical? You're just exactly. I'm doing a podcast with a woman who's had cancer twice. She's in her 30s, and she's got a new startup in Oxford to do with right. cancer. I'm mentoring her tomorrow, and then a week on Saturday, I'm, I'm mentoring somebody who's raising money because he's worked out a way of detecting whether somebody is close to death or not using urine you know so i'm definitely mentoring people being, being very selective so you know the, the, the fucking list is you know i don't know some of the lecturing i've been doing and i'm actually going to greece next week to do some lecturing because i really like the guy there and greece is really quite short of the sort of skills that i can help them with but generally it's being very cautious about my time 
Yeah. Again, I see. I I don't want to keep bringing this back to to business. I see so much, uh, just parallels between running your business well and it's it, there's I, again. I'm I, you know I I can't help but see it. I, I I you know it's amazing. Like being focused, you're basically being focused. I mean, you're just basically yeah. being focused, exactly. laser focused, and not getting distracted by other things. Because if if it's not critical to the mission, you're it's on the fuck it list basically. So. Yeah. And a lot of them, actually, I just, just briefly, now I know there's no video, I can just get this. There's a book here, which, so I'm not the only one. There's a book here called Chasing Daylight, which is was by the um, head of PwC in the USA, is similar. You know, there, there's yeah. definitely this isn't unique. People are, who've been in business potentially, maybe it's mainly, who are, are, are re- using their business skills and their approach to life to approach the end of their own life. In his case, unfortunately, he only had three and a half months and it was a very bad form of cancer which affected his brain quite quickly. Whereas I'm really lucky. I, I've got cancers, unlucky. AstraZeneca drug company decided to work on people like me because there's so many of us and decided they would help us and also make a, make a bit of money. And that's kept me in a really good state. The fact that I did do half another half marathon earlier this year, um, you know, and last year as well, the fact I can travel so much. I, you know, just got I got engaged in the Galapagos earlier this year and they got married again in June. <laughs> in fact, Richard... That's, congratulations. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, it, it, I'm very lucky that the cancer I've got, although terminal then one can be argued of course life is terminal for all of us life is terminal yeah mm-hmm. um as, as it, it's been popular often somebody's been lucky enough and with a lot of effort to create something which is a, a, t- a therapy from which doesn't have many side effects so i've been really really lucky that's got the listeners got to understand cancer is a terrible journey for many people i've just been lucky here but it doesn't mean I've still got, I can assume I'm going to live to, my parents both lived in their 80s, I don't know, their 60s. You know, I'd be really, really pleased if I can get to 70 and that's, you know, two years away now. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the tendency for a lot of people when they talk to somebody that's terminally ill is to talk about, you know, oh, but, you know, the technology is moving so fast and, the, you know, I, I don't want to be non-optimal. I, I think it's, I think that's great. I, I just don't, I don't think it's necessary to say that. I think it's more interesting to focus on more important to focus on, look, you're taking what you've got. You get more, hey, bonus time, baby, you know, it's more. But like, you're just looking at a, a set period of time and you're just max, you're maximizing that time. And then, yeah, I just I just, keep, I just, keep thinking about how interesting this is. Like I think about this project management, like you have all these things like project management and, and, and focus. And, and these are like, and, and it's interesting that you even mentioned that there was a PwC, there was another business guy that did a, So it's kind of interesting that this is, that something like this can have this sort of like, this business experience can then be applied to, to situations like this, basically. Yeah, yeah. And perhaps I think about it, perhaps I ought to put a bit more effort into in the book in terms of this, because most of the publishers wouldn't take it on because I'm just not famous enough for this type right. of book. I needed 100,000 social media followers, and I've right. only got 10,000. But those 10,000 are generally, you know, 97, 98, 99% are business-related. So perhaps I ought to inc- add more about how I plan the next, um, you know, the next year. It was a 500-day plan, actually, to start with, because sure. <laughs> when it mutates my cancer, it's usually 18 months to death, and now I'm down to less than a year. But uh, that's a good point. Oh, I could just put it onto the website, of course. Mm. A, a, a point that's been occurring to me is like, what can non-business people, because we're three business people of different types, and we 
so maybe it's for us, it's a bit more obvious, but if someone listening to this who isn't into business, I, I very often feel that a lot of people who aren't entrepreneurs don't understand how beneficial an entrepreneurial mindset can be to life in general because of that sense of ownership, not freaking out with problems, recognizing that problems are inevitable and taking responsibility for solving problems rather than expecting someone else to take care of them for you. They're two of the things that I think that so many people could benefit from. But if someone's listening to this and they aren't an entrepreneur, what do you think they can gain from understanding the way you, you're coping and dealing with this? So first of all, most people in their lives do run projects. You know, they might not call them projects. Bringing up a child is actually running a project. Being an academic is project. So the actual organization of one's life and time around some a goal based on inputs is absolutely normal in life. The entrepreneur does it as well. I think the difference of the entrepreneur is that they'll take some risks. And in fact, I don't mind saying I've taken some huge risks because I don't have any travel insurance. You know, when I, <laughs> or if I do have travel insurance, I'm sure they won't pay out. So I know this is in the public domain, so <laughs> the insurance companies might be listening. That doesn't matter. So I, I, I've been not just lucky that I haven't had many side effects. I'm also willing to take the risk in the way an entrepreneur will do. Not, not necessarily take it but analyze it so that i'm willing to do things that other people might not do so just to condense that most people in life whether they're entrepreneurs or not are used to running projects you've got to be somewhat an emotional you know you've got to think of it quite carefully in a non-emotional way to do it in my situation but the only entrepreneurial side to it potentially is the fact that i've been willing to take risks which many many people won't take to the extent that we do as entrepreneurs. I would actually add something. I think, yeah. I think, I mean, again, again, this is just an idea and I don't know how, to what extent it's true, but I think if you're a successful entrepreneur, you're also weeded out for another trait, which is resilience, because nobody's making it without being punched in the face. Now, of course, your resilience is like other level, like second level, third level, like whatever. It's like crazy level. It's hard for anybody to imagine your level of resilience, what you've been through, with your kids and then the cancer that's obviously just and you know and alcoholism and all this i mean that's like just a whole nother level of resilience but if you just fundamentally think about an entrepreneur they are getting punched in the face like they're not making it without getting punched in the face hard multiple times and somehow they're also standing up and keep going so i think the pool is there is something about that pool i agree with the risk taking too also but i also think this i think i think fundamentally you're resilient Peter, like, <laughs> I think that has to be the, like, the, like that, that's the fundamental trait here. I mean, it's like, you've just been punched in the face so many times and you're just, <laughs> you just keep getting up and keep doing your stuff. I mean. Yeah, no wonder, yeah, interesting to know that this is philosophical, whether one is born or can learn resilience. Right. No, I don't. That, that, well, we talk about this all the time. We always yeah. ask. I mean, this is part of the interview usually is like, how did you, where did it come from? Because we're so fascinated with what makes you an entrepreneur, basically? Like, what makes you like this, basically? Mm. Yes, I, I, I was just literally thinking about that, that just in this discussion, the one of the characteristics, and this, if I look at myself, I've learned to embrace and accept failure and rejection that as I start a new thing, 
it no longer bothers me if someone says that's a really stupid idea. It, it, it bothers me if someone says no, when if they said yes, it would help me move on. But it doesn't bother me in terms of my ego anymore. And it used to bother me massively 20 or 30 years ago. Really, if someone laughed at my idea, I would mind. And I just would think, oh, they're laughing at my idea. And so I, I, I don't know even in launching this project, when you're talking about how to get an audience, sorry, the project cancer or publishing the book and you're looking for a publisher and finding that agents didn't want it because you weren't famous enough. Do you feel that your sort of, your mindset helps you press on regardless? In yeah, that's, the, a, you... that's a really good point, this this rejection, because of course I my first business candidate failed back in 1990. I've been, I've had a few relationships over over my life I've been rejected. I'm on my third, third marriage, for instance. And of course, tragically, the ultimate rejection is a child taking their own life. I can't imagine any more any more intense rejection than that in one's life. So yeah, the fact I've been rejected many times and bounced back and been resilient and coped uh, must be a really big part of this. Yeah, I mean, it's just it it is just something uh, that it is it is the fact it is the, like the chicken or the egg question. I mean, like, <laughs> but I, I think for everybody, I mean, but this just goes back to what we always say when we're like talking to about entrepreneurship and like people going into this is that like are you ready to be punched in the face i mean like that because that, that that's that's what you're signing up for and anybody who's been through anybody who's set up a successful business will tell you that that's absolutely the case um so that's like just that's always for me like one of the take like and, and i think people say it all the time mm. like and people say this all the time it's not like we're not saying anything new like we're saying something that everybody says but i just don't know how many people actually listen or understand that it, that it's actually really like that basically you know and then having you on here is just like it's such a like a such a clear like like example of it which is not even like you know obviously you've had all this business and entrepreneurial success we're not even talking about that we're crystallizing it in sort of life basically life life success yeah yeah that's right no I, i've been i've been working through basically the book is going to be organized as a sort of general chronological way through talking about various events positive and negative and then chapters on alcoholism on suicide etc and I'm, i've got through to about 10 years ago and realized that you know I, I grew up like maybe you two did as well and didn't really fail at very much for a long time and that very first failure which in in my case was the death of my brother actually wasn't a failure that i didn't impose but i had to go through that when he was 21 i was 23 and then the business failures from all that it must be I hope it isn't. There isn't a connection between uh, being as really as resilient as I am now in late to life with the cancer and having a number of really negative yeah. things happening. Because that, I'd rather the book came across with some teachings there somehow, so that people can, as I say, distill it and use it, rather than having to have these 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 really. I mean, I think humans are fascinating, to be honest with you. I mean, I think that's ultimately what it comes down to is we as humans are fascinating. I mean, like our ability, I mean, your story by itself is incredibly inspiring. I mean, like, like anybody who's having a bad, anybody who's having a bad day or a challenge should read this book, basically, because it's like, like, you think you have it bad? I mean, and like, and and you can overcome it. I mean, it's it's so it's, as I said, it's like it's pure, it's purely inspirational. 
Yeah, and there's definitely that part of it, isn't there? You know, don't sweat the small stuff or whatever you Americans call it. You know, just yeah. get on with life, embrace life, grasp opportunities, lots of stuff there. You know, don't don't wallow in sorrow about the fact that you can't buy that new car or something like that. There'll be a whole stack of... Um, yeah. Yeah, people should read it on that basis. I don't want it to be something where people... I keep saying to people, I don't want people to um, sympathise with me, or, or, you know, feel sorry for me. That is not what it's all about. I'm not trying to portray some sort of tragic story that people. Yeah. Can, it's all to do with the it, being inspiration from the by the fact, as we've said several times now, a lot of shits happened in my life, but I've just gone on with it and yeah. learned from it and, and developed from it. Well, I mean, they should listen to this podcast because I'll tell you right now, it doesn't sound like that when you when you hear your voice. I mean, uh, I, I assume that the words will come around. You know, obviously, I don't know what's written in the book, but, I, you know, it, it should hopefully be the same tone as the way you're speaking here because it does not come across at all as give me sympathy. It's yeah, yeah. it is purely an inspirational story. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I sort of feel that um, I. You know, we've known each other for really quite a long time and you know, to the extent that we can help by getting the audience. And, you know, Mark Marshall, who founded the New Books Network, you know, knows about you, knows your story. And he's, you could know, because for those who aren't aware of it, uh, one of the things I did for Peter was to help get the MBN to host all his podcasts. So they'll stay up there after he dies, because there's a problem if you've got a podcast that it has to be hosted somewhere. And, you know, just making sure it was going to be there in the long term was something that we could do. But, you know, getting your story out to different people so that they can learn. And the thing Keeman said, like someone's having a bad day, they can think, well, at least I'm not Peter. And, you know, that's just, it sounds horrible. But, you know, then actually being Peter's not, at one level, it's horrendous. And another level, here's someone who's definitely dealt with shittier things than most people have dealt with, and he can still live. So maybe, and still... Have. Well, yeah, it's like shut up and get on with it is my template. <laughs> that would be my thing. It's like stop whining and get on with it. I mean, like to to add to 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 the to all these other people that are out there whining about whatever hardships they're facing. I mean, yeah. and I'm not saying that some of them are not hard. Some people may be facing very serious things, but like when I'm just thinking on our world, Richard or and Peter on our world, and I mean by that our world, our business world. Oh, we have a big problem. Think of the big problems that we have in our businesses. Mm. You know how like really are they really big? Right. I mean, are they really that big? I mean, yeah, people but, but there's, there's, more, there's, there's more to it than that because we're not some miserable Israeli who's got an abducted family member or a miserable Gazan being sort of thirsty and hungry and terrified day to day. There, are, there's always someone out there who's worse off than you. But it's also just about not just like not who to compare yourself to with, but how to live how to, what to do day to day. So it's, and so one thing I wanted to do is say, like, please, if you're listening to this, check, obviously click on the links, sign up for the book and read the book. But I, I haven't read the book. I've read the sort of the, the taster chapter, but I know that there's going to be value and I know that it's going to be worth it. And if it, if it, if you read and think that was a waste of time, blame me, don't blame, <laughs> don't blame Peter. But it, are there other things about the project you, and you, cause you're a very technical person. If you watch the project cancer videos, you really have gone into the detail of your medical situation and the therapies available and the options. And maybe you can share a bit about, cause that's unusual about you. And I know quite a few people who've got health problems and they don't all rattle off all the details with the, wh wh why, why do you think it's a good idea 
Or why was it a good idea for you to get into the details of what was wrong with you and the treatment? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. In fact, I've just had a, somebody com commented on one of the YouTube channels and said I should tag the type of cancer associated with the what podcast interviews I've done so they could be found more easily. So I got really stuck between making a generic, if you've got cancer, these are good things to do, communication, prioritization, working with the NHS, et cetera, and being very specific about my, my type of cancer. Because, you know, there are, I've just found out the other day, there are 114 different mutations of lung cancer, for instance. So if you take, and lung cancer, unfortunately, is the one that kills the most people globally it's not the mo one that most people get that's actually breast cancer but liver can uh, um, lung cancer kills everybody so I, I've, I it's a funny mix between being quite specific because I'm a you know although I'm not an academic uh, I've you know I've been well educated and so I've done a lot of research and then because it's a sort of joint venture between the health service whichever country you're in and yourself working together is really important so yeah, that 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 has been a struggle, knowing how how deep to go about my cancer, which is really specifically interesting just for people with my mutation, which is 80,000 a year new new ones throughout the world, and being generic. Is that is that what you mean? Does that um, answer the question? I and I just I also like, and at some level, knowledge is never a never a bad thing and sometimes there are people who you know if something goes their machine goes wrong they like to understand what's got wrong and other people just want to pay an invoice and get someone to fix it and I was just thinking did you do you think that it helped you not just in terms of choosing the right treatment part or what were the benefits to you of going into detail of what was wrong in the possible therapies was it to help you choose the optimum path for treatment uh, or fact, was it no, when I got the cancer there was only really one obvious choice because there is a tablet that I take once a day which is specifically targeted at my mutation so I didn't do any investigation there and whatever googling I did actually was detrimental because I found went down all kinds of horrible rabbit holes about prognosis and you know ways of dying what I did look at was uh, when it mutated was the various treatment options and looked at those very carefully and talked it through with the NHS um, to try and get the optimum there. But it, and, and the next stage, when it gets past the point where radiotherapy works, there will be a number of different trials from that point. And I really need to understand what the options are. Two reasons. One is so that if for any reason, my oncologist, who's excellent, because luckily I'm living in Cambridge where we've got a university hospital and it's one of the top four or five hospitals in the UK for cancer. So one is just to make sure that, you know, he, I've, I've worked it out in case he hasn't. And I have worked some things out, which he's taken from me and he's using himself. And secondly, it's because actually I want to be in more in a level of control. And again, this might be an entrepreneurial trait of some sort. I, I, and I want to be more control of the situation than if I was just to hand my life over. And I've got a cousin um, who's got uh, bladder cancer up in the north in Yorkshire. And he's just, oh, he's a bright guy. He's just handed his life over to the NHS. And that mm -hmm. isn't the way I, 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 you know, it just isn't the way I've had run my whole life. And again, this may be entrepreneurial. It may just be my character. But it's really important to me that I can help make those decisions. Yeah, I mean, I've known, <clears throat> I've known both <clears throat> types of people, and it, I, but uh, it, it's interesting that some people just say, "Yeah, you deal with it," 
And, you know, obviously that would not be in my, like, you know, I, I, I could, I would just need to, I, I would just like to know. It's, it's more like, I don't know how much I'm going to, but it, like, it's knowing knowledge is, is it just helps you know what, what's, oh, okay, this, because of like, I also just, I'm, I'm not necessarily guide a doctor, but, but like understand, like, and ch- sort of like check <laughs> to make sure that you've done, like, it's a, it's, it's just to make sure that you know what, what, what's going on and why. And then you can ask obviously intelligent questions. Um, it seems too important not to do that, Peter, but I don't know. Like, I no, guess some you, people just don't. You've got to be, ca- you've got to be cautious actually, because you don't want to upset the, the doctor right. because in the end they've got, they've got access and control of the flow. Right. Of, of course. Treatments. Of course. So having that relationship in a, a friendly way that's right. you know, working together. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, lots of people do have second opinions. I, I met somebody the other day who'd had, yeah, facts. He's still, he's, he's eight, seven years into it. And when he didn't trust the doctors he was talking to, he ended up in Germany, in Boston, USA, and in London before he then chose another another doctor in another oncology department. And I'm actually doing a, a podcast on Monday for Project Cancer with somebody that lives in the same city as as Richard does, actually, at the moment. And he's he's almost pushed too hard, I think. It'd be interesting to see if this comes across in the podcast or not, where he's he's challenged the, the doctor a little bit too hard. Because in the end, if you're challenging somebody who's the expert... Right, you right, are, right. You, 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 you're challenging their... Their, their their credibility and their authority right. and, and and you know there's a point where you can actually as you would do in an entrepreneurial world i mean you know you can imagine an employee challenging the founder in such a way right. where the relationship the trust relationship right um, is broken finally exactly. at some point exactly yeah. and if you're a mentor not undermining yeah there are lots of different relation and I, i've got an observation here which i think for a lot of people listening they may sort of think of you as like an, a kind of emotional superman like an iron man you've dealt with and you know, i i know you well i've seen you i've seen you crying and i'm just wondering if you could i, I feel this is too important not I, i've people i imagine people listening wondering what the hell is it like to be you and in order to kind of not exactly reassure people but i it, it it's not like you've just like snapped your fingers and dealt with this that you know could you share a bit about what you the difficulties you face and like where maybe just give if you can pick an example of things as i say maybe reassure people that you're not like and make someone feel like feel like a relative failure because they're not coping with difficult things in their life uh, yes as well as you've done. this is off this is often happening I, I say i was at this dinner in belfast last night and uh, you know if, if you describe to somebody you've lost two children not being in tears just seems wrong somehow. I feel guilty that I'm not in tears, but I can't communicate and help if I'm just like I have been in front of you, Richard, on and off over the years because of the grief just bubbling up to the surface. It does sit there. But to give you an example, after my first son died, uh, and I spent quite a lot of time with the police trying to track down who he'd seen. So there was a, it was a really difficult process. This will be described in the book. Um, I ended up with some sort of psychosomatic illnesses for some years afterwards. So there was there were things wrong with me which the medical profession just couldn't find. So the grief was obviously I absorbed it internally, and it was only after help with therapy and time, because grief is of course processed by time, as we all know. It, it makes it easy. You never forget. You never lose the the love for the person that you've lost. Um, it, it recovered so definitely the fact I'm 
on this podcast seeming logical and almost cold at times isn't the me that certainly you, Richard, have experienced and, and of course, that I've experienced as well. Having said that, when my brother died, um, again, this is in the book, uh, I came from a rather emotionally, um, what's the right word for it, not vacuous, but there was a lack of emotional connection in the family. So we didn't talk about it at all after he died. So my background was definitely sort of middle class, England, um, and I've done a lot of work on myself to get to the point where I can cry easily in front of other people, including strangers. I mean, soon after Alan died, there were a lot of strangers I cried in front of. You know, something would like my uh, uh, had a um, physiotherapist, and I just couldn't cope. I just terrible tears at that point. So yeah, no, I'm not like this. There is something that I can feel it just welling up at the moment. It's not very far below the surface. Is the grief. Mm. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing because, I mean, it, it, it can be like it's also emotional listening to your story as well. So it's not. I know you know. I know I've known you for a long time. Um, I, we've got just a few minutes. A few minutes left. About another five or so minutes left. I'm just thinking other things we haven't covered in this conversation. Firstly, like we appreciate you finding the time for us, and you know, it sounds ridiculous and not ridiculous. Obvious in the context that every hour counts. Um, so we really appreciate the time. Are there things that you haven't shared or questions well, you'd like to ask him? Well, but let's one thing Kim... is, sorry, can I just add, add something? Yeah, I mean, obviously the book is Public Success, Private Grief. And although I'm not successful in my street here, I'm sort of successful in my um, in, in our world in terms of ancient investing and writing books and lecturing and, and actually financial success from ancient investing as well, as it turns out. And I've been trying to work out, and I'd be very interested in your views, actually, on how what, how this grief might have developed into improving my success, whether it switched on some sort of public service, something in me, or whether it enhanced it, whether the processing the grief and the trauma actually led to me being more open and outward with other people. I don't know. Is that... That's interesting. I mean, that's a very interesting question, but we should be asking you. <laughs> because I don't, <laughs> I, I don't I, I, it, it, it's fascinating because, well, I mean, it's really the question is, what were you like before? Let's say, I mean, it's hard to say because it's been like you've gotten through this, like you've had, like, as I said, this like relative, you've had these like traumas, you had multiple traumas over different parts of your life. Um, so that is a good question. It was, is the cancer the tipping point? Was it your son, your second son's suicide, the tipping? What was the tipping point that drove you I, to, I, to come to meet community or to, 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 to make it, to make it, to say, I'm going to be, I want to give this back. I, I have to give this back. I have to give this back somehow. I mean, cause that's really the question I think. Yeah. I think possibly um, <laughs> the end of my alcoholic time, um, I felt, and I think one of the chapters might even be called The Lost Decade, drinking caused, I mean, lots went on in that decade, as you'll, yeah. you'll see when you read the book, but I, I, at that point, I think I wanted to live my life in a different way. Um, and I, I, so, so I was 45 when I stopped drinking, so that's still, you know, since leaving university, there's still 25 years or so with that, mm -hmm. uh, where I felt that I was possibly a bit egocentric and a bit you know driven by money or driven by success or something and that just flipped there 
at that point, maybe going through Alcoholics Anonymous, seeing a load of other people, sharing right. my life with a load of people from different social demographic bases. I don't know. I mean, sorry, I, this hopefully will come across in the book, but it might not. It may be the book is is, is to show, not to tell. So it's not right. going to be do my way because that never works. Right, you know, right. No, nobody can ever live the same life. It'll be. So you I think when you started, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, when you started um, the process of healing uh, the alcoholism through alcohol. So obviously you went through this like opening up and talking to people and maybe sobering up and not being so, as you said, your own words, like focusing on yourself, sort of like started opening your eyes to, to what's around you. That was a moment that you started to sort of say, okay, community and giving back and embracing and helping others. Was that, that, so that was like, a, maybe you were just opened your eyes to it. Would you say, cause you saw how other people were suffering and yeah, yeah. I, well, alcohol, of course, is was number one in my life. Once you get to right. the point where you're drinking alcoholically, nothing matters apart from the next drink. Right. Um, I, I wasn't completely drunk every single day. There were days when I would not have a drink at all and get on with life. But yeah. it feels like that was the tipping point. And it, it certainly co it was coincidentally in at that time in my life. And I suspect that was caused by that, where... I just felt that I needed to, I to live a different life for whatever time I got left. And I, Richard probably even remembers the conversation. I've thought for many years that I would die early because of drinking vodka neat from a bottle. You know, as it turns yeah. out, the cancer, which normally the vodka goes down, the tube obviously from the mouth down, and then the cancer didn't appear anywhere on that route through. It appeared somewhere else. But mm. so, so they might have been triggered with that. But it wasn't just a matter of living life to the full in a hedonistic way. It was living life well and you know busily with so something for myself, but also to others. But there are I'm not a saint. There are masses of people out there that probably give more to others than I I could ever do. And I I know things about Peter that means I know he's not a saint, just to put it out there. <laughs> just for, as part of your legacy, as part of your legacy, Peter. <laughs> um, but there's a book I read decades ago called The Uses of Adversity, Adversity, and I can't remember, but it's about Poland's history. And I think that it's worth sort of considering that, you know, every bad experience, every tough thing that happens, there may be in different ways some kind of benefit or character enhancement because life isn't a bed of roses and people who have it too easy sometimes end up fairly screwed up as a result of it being too easy so i and i i, I feel as we're drawing to an end it's it's just a privilege to be able to have you here you know obviously you're a friend i've known you for ages but i i feel you know it is it's great life is partly about what you can contribute and if we can help you get your story out to people who can benefit anywhere in the world that's something that we very much want to do um that's my closing words i'll just hand over to you peter uh, to well to you Kimon and peter to wrap this up yeah i mean uh i as i said multiple times throughout this conversation i it, i think you're a very inspirational person and I think your story is very inspirational. And I, I, I really do think anybody that listens to this will will get value out of it. And and, and yeah, I, I like Richard encourage everybody to read the book because um, I'm sure there's a lot more there. We can't you can only cover so much in a, in an hour on a podcast. But uh, I just want to say thank you for 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 being who you are and for making you know doing everything you can to get your message out there because I think it's an important message. 
And thank you both as well. I mean, you've given me a good platform here to do it. I've actually been more open on this podcast than I have any other one so far and practicing I expect for other ones where I'm even more open. And so I would have, of course, had this conversation with both of you anyway, and I have done with Richard many times. So the time would have been worth it just for you two. But the fact you've created, you've allowed me to go onto your platform, which will then spread the word wider, has been extremely good. And thank you for doing that.